Moves podcast, where I will discuss movement through a conversational lens as I connect with all of Greenville's top health, wellness, and performance specialists. The focus of this podcast is to approach movement as a treatment option for longevity, disease, disability, and of course, performance. I am your host, performance physical therapist, Dr. Brian Keith. And this is season one of the podcast. All right, season one, episode one, Greenville Moves podcast. Here we go. This is going to be just me. I wanted to take this podcast uh, first episode just to introduce myself, tell you a little bit about who I am, what I do. The goals of this podcast and kind of a general outline and then at the end we will be discussing some movement related topic got to bring some content some value some education to you so stick around to the end we're going to discuss isometrics and give you five reasons why you should be doing them so as i said in the introduction my name is dr brian keith i am a performance physical therapist and a strength and conditioning specialist and owner of MyoMove, where we help active adults and athletes in the Greenville and Upstate area get back to the activities they love, kind of bridge that gap between traditional rehab models and performance strength and conditioning therapy. So very, very, very movement-oriented, movement-focused. We love the power of movement and how that can transform uh, dysfunction and transform you psychologically, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, just big fans of movement in general, hence the Greenville Moves podcast in the name of the business. So um, I was born and raised in small town USA in coal country in the far southwestern corner of Virginia. Grew up kind of on the Kentucky and Tennessee border um, in a really uh, blue collar area. So at a very young age, I kind of just really appreciated the value of community and relationships and most importantly, hard work. And I've always prided myself on um, just working really, really hard, especially if it's about something that I care about and I'm invested in. And um, I've kind of took that 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 work ethic and that blue collar drive and converted it into my own business. And I started my own move in actually just this last year um, in 2020. However, it uh, rebranded from Performance Project, which was a little side hustle I did as I worked a different job initially once I moved to Greenville. So I grew up playing football, baseball, basketball, just uh, kind of played multiple different sports. Sports. I was always outside, um, you know, playing with my next-door neighbor, playing hoops in the yard, playing home run derby baseball, playing football, um, and really just grew up in that small-town community. And I think I have to go back to 1998, 1999, when I really said, you know what, like, I really love movement, and this is what I want to establish myself as, is is someone that really understands and enjoys movement. And I've been very, very fortunate. I think from a very young age, I knew I wanted to do something in the movement field in some form or fashion. Obviously, like most of you listening, you probably had hopes and endeavors of playing at the collegiate level or professional level. Um, Always been a pretty big dreamer, so um, once I realized that that was... Um, unquestionably not going to happen based on my ability. I was like, okay, next best option is just to treat people um, that maybe will play at that level. And that mission and that scope has kind of changed in some form or fashion as I've kind of gotten a little bit wiser and kind of modified my approach a little bit. 
but uh, 1998, 1999, Pound High School basketball team was 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 uh, very very good. They made it all the way to the state finals, lost to Glenvar in the state championship game, and I think I watched every single game and followed that team super closely and kind of just liked. Uh, the process of watching them grow and develop and I had this curiosity with with basketball and I think uh, you know that also stems from Space Jam and Michael Jordan and following the Chicago Bulls through uh, through the, the the final run there with uh, uh, Jordan and that team and from from a very early age I just kind of had this obsession with basketball and uh, I put all my eggs in that basketball basket once I turned uh, 12 or 13 I kind of dropped baseball dropped football and just really devoted myself to that and I have to give a really big ups and thanks to Josh Tompkins I'm definitely going to send him a message and make him listen to this podcast because he'll appreciate it he still lives um in that neck of the woods, Big Stone Gap, he's a pastor of a local church there, um, phenomenal guy, but he's the one that kind of introduced me to the weight room. I guess he was my basketball coach on the 7th and 8th grade team and kind of saw this frail, timid uh, boy who kind of showed some interest in wanting to get bigger, faster, stronger, so he took me under his wing and um, let me work out with him. And at the time, Josh was, and, and maybe even still is, one of the strongest people that I've ever worked out with. Um, and Josh always had this little notebook, and he would he would write out his workouts. He would take 10, 15 minutes and write out his workouts. He would flip back through all the old pages. You know, he had notebooks upon notebooks of past workouts. He would grade his workouts from an A to an F. He would grade his soreness. He would grade his intensity. He was just very diligent about tracking things. And at the time, I didn't know it, but that was strength and conditioning and progression and uh, programming. Uh, I, like I said, I just didn't know it. And Josh really, really, really introduced me to that because I can remember uh, my father bought a, uh, a weight bench from, you know, like Walmart or, or someplace like Dick Sporting Goods or something like that. And we put it in our basement and he had a barbell and then some plates. Um, and then he had an easy curl bar and it had like one of those little attachments where you could do like leg extensions and pull downs on it. But like it wasn't the most biomechanically efficient thing, like the cable just didn't really work and it wouldn't hold tension throughout the whole range of motion. Um, but I can remember my dad and his friends being down in the weight room and a couple of my friends also going down in there. And they were doing bench press that day. And that was my first introduction into movement from a performance standpoint outside of just traditional uh, practicing. Um, obviously, I had done some stretches, you know, before baseball, football, basketball growing up. But I had never uh, experienced like weight room and what it felt like to, to lift a weight. And my friends were always quite bigger than me. Keep in mind, I was very, very, very small when I was in seventh grade. And I can remember this day like it was yesterday because it left such a lasting impression on me. We go down to the basement, and my friends put 25s on each side, so 95 pounds. And they're able to rep out uh, two or three reps on 95 pounds of bench press. So I'm like, all right, all right, if they can do two or three, I can do one. So I can remember uh, Dad was spotting me, unrack the weight, and plunk just right to the chest couldn't even hold the bar in that position isometrically which is what we're going to be talking about ironically at the end of this podcast and I was kind of like mortified and you know like your pride just really shoots down kind of seeing like your dad's friends and your friends being able to do something that you just physically can't do so we put tens on each side so 65 pounds same exact thing happened so we go to the bar plunk, same exact thing happened 
So at this point, you know, like I'm on the verge of tears. I don't let anyone see me cry. And we do the easy curl bar, which weighed 15 pounds, and we put fives on each side. So 25-pound bar. And I was barely able to muscle that up, but it was kind of like one of those where the right side goes up more than the left side, and my back is off the bench, and I'm wiggling and squirming, but I get it up, uh, maybe with a little assistance from the spotter, who I think was my dad, I believe. Um, And I can remember going up into my bedroom that day, and it was like, hey, I don't ever want to feel this way again and I actually have always been like a really really big journaler um and I still have some of those journals and and I flip back through and I can remember talking about that moment periodically throughout my life and I made a promise to myself that I would never ever ever let myself feel that way from that day moving forward so I sought out Josh and I've committed myself to uh, training and to prioritizing movement just because I remember the pain uh, and the disappointment that I felt that day. So that is kind of like the the backstory of how I got into movement and why I am so uh, obsessed and curious with it. Um, and I get it, you know, not everyone is going to be as intense or curious or passionate about movement and that that is totally okay. You know, we all have different perspectives and advantages to bring to the health and performance and movement world, but I wanted to give you a little hindsight into like kind of like what makes me me because I want to be authentic on this podcast because I know I'll have people from my past that will be listening to this and I want to be organic and authentic because they know me. Uh, I don't want to seem like someone I'm not just to, to put on a show here. Also, too, another thing that movement has done for me outside of just the health and performance and elevating basketball and things like that was, um, you know, just having mental health and anxiety and depression issues. And I think movement being an outlet for me to express myself without verbally expressing myself, you know, so it's kind of like the unspoken words, you know, you can just pick up a ball and go in a gym or you can go in the weight room and kind of just vent and, and express yourself through movement that way. So At times in my life when my mental health has been the lowest, there is a direct correlation to my movement practice and how it is slacking as well. And I think both of those things feed off each other, honestly. Yes, mental health does not come down to training and performance. Like, I'm not uh, making small of that. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But for me personally, I know movement is really helpful for me to balance the highs and lows of kind of managing depression and anxiety. And maybe some of you guys can relate to that. Maybe some of you can't. And I'll, I'll go into more detail about movement and mental health as we get later on. But just wanted to have a little moment of vulnerability on episode one so you can kind of get a feel for what's going on here. So general way that this podcast is going to be outlined is I'll have a guest. You know, it could be a performance coach in the area, CrossFit box owner, it could be a medical doctor, it could be a nutritionist, it could be someone in the Greenville area. Um, 95% of the time I may have some guests that are not uh, located or centered in Greenville. And we'll just kind of talk shop. You know, I'll let them introduce themselves. I'll kind of let them talk about what movement means to them. It'll be natural and conversational. It'll be uh, partly like an interview. I'll ask them specific questions just to kind of let them tee it up. And then we'll just kind of let free flow conversation have because I think those are the best podcasts when it's just natural and free flowing um, so if you guys have any guests be sure to uh, message me uh, my email is brian b-r-y-n at myomove.com I'm sure I'll put it in the show notes and you can find all of my business information at myomove on both Facebook and Instagram and our website is myomove.com So reach out to me on there if you have any specific questions or have any guests that you would like me to kind of tee it up with. I've got a good four or five solid guests already committed. We just got to record them and get them on here. So I'm excited to get that ball rolling. So 
Um, today, the educational topic, just to give you guys some piece of value outside of just talking about myself, because I do not want this podcast to be about me whatsoever. I just want to be kind of the host and the one that kind of guides it and sets it up. So we're going to talk about some isometrics. So first, let's define isometrics. We all know that when you do a bicep curl, there's different parts of that movement. You know, you've got the lifting phase where you're kind of bringing the wrist to the elbow then you've got the lowering phase. So the lifting phase is where the muscle shortens. That's the concentric muscle action. So that bicep is shortening origin to insertion. And then the eccentric phase is where you slowly lower it and there's still tension. Um, and you return back to a more elongated position of that muscle. But there is an isometric contraction, which is one where there's tension on the muscle, but the length of the muscle remains unchanged. So force is being produced despite no movement occurring. And maybe you're thinking, like, why on earth would I want to create a lot of force or discuss um, a movement contraction where no movement is occurring? Isn't that the whole point of mechanical tension and performance? And I think we have to really talk about some things that don't really get discussed with isometric contractions because if we take a squat, you know, we're starting with an eccentric motion where we are lowering the weight and then we perform the concentric muscle action or a deadlift where we start with the concentric muscle action um, and then we lower the weight back down with an eccentric muscle contraction. So different movement patterns are going to start with different parts of a contraction. But the common theme is that before you transition from eccentric to concentric or concentric to eccentric, there is an isometric contraction that occurs on each each movement. Even if you're a soccer player or a basketball player and you're running in one direction, you have to perform an isometric muscle action to stop movement in one direction to redirect your body into a whole nother. So you have to absorb all that force, come to a complete stop, and then pump, and then put force in another direction. So you use isometrics every single day, you just don't know it. So if you're like me, you spent a lot of time outdoors as a child. Maybe you're walking through the woods and you stumble on a huge boulder. You want to try to roll down the giant hill into the pond just to see a big splash. So you and your friends get into position, hips back, knees bent, arms tight, and you push, but no movement whatsoever. The boulder doesn't even wiggle. You try again. One, two, three, big push, no movement. You're absolutely exhausted, maybe turning red in the face, you're out of breath, your heart rate is up. You just created tons of force, just a massive amount of force without actually moving, and that is what an isometric contraction is. So five reasons why you should be be performing uh, isometric contractions, and this is how I use them pretty frequently for people in both the performance and rehab world, and that is one, pain management. Study in 2015 by Rio says a single resistance training bout of isometric contractions reduced tendon pain immediately for at least 45 minutes post-intervention. So isometrics have been widely studied and shown to decrease, to decrease acute bouts of pain. It's very, very important to understand and note that isotonic exercises are also indicated for acute pain management and have been proven to also have these analgesic pain-decreasing effects. Uh, it could also be understood that isometrics may be a first-line option because they are self-limiting. So that is why I like to use them. And what I mean by that is if we have someone that has acute low back pain associated with uh, bending forward in a deadlift pattern, 
and they're used to using working loads of 350 plus so maybe we take them back down to 95 100 pounds the problem with that is that 95 100 pounds is always going to be 95 and 100 pounds and if we're trying to manage pain we want to uh, just respect pain sensitivity and central sensitization and tissue irritation and I think sometimes if we use an isometric, like say an overcoming isometric, where we have an athlete find a comfortable range, maybe it's mid-thigh, maybe it's closer to their knee, and they pull against a pin or a rack, some immovable object, they can kind of pull as little or as hard as they want to to get the desired response. So we're loading the glutes, we're loading hip extension, we're loading the hamstrings, we're loading the low back stabilizers, we're getting our shoulder blades engaged. We're getting some disc compression in there. Do they have pain or do they not have pain? If so, pull a little less intense. If they don't have pain, maybe pull a little harder or pull a little bit longer. And it's just easy, easy to modify it that way. I've got some cool exercise examples on one of the blogs I posted on my website under Learn and on my YouTube if you want to go check those out. Second reason is we can improve motor unit recruitment, and that's just a fancy way of saying we can optimize your muscle-mind connection. So a motor unit is made up of a single motor neuron, and all of the individual muscle fibers innervated by that motor unit. And if you can recruit mo more motor units, then you can recruit more muscle fibers, therefore more force you will produce. And training allows you to be able to recruit more motor units at the same time as you gain efficiency and coordination and develop more motor pathways. So this is kind of like the newbie gains that we see within the first four to six weeks of programming. And this is what I preach to every novice lifter if they're in high school or if they're older is to really maximize those first four to six weeks because you're going to get those neural adaptations like the more motor unit recruitment and that's going to establish you a strong foundation and i think many people kind of neglect that first four to six weeks um, and when people get stronger you know we can see people make some pretty significant jumps in that first four to six weeks of programming and of movement and that's not necessarily because of like uh, tissue adaptation from a hypertrophy uh, strength standpoint it's more just uh, neural adaptations where they're able to record more motor units because those pathways are more efficient so that's another reason third reason is we can decrease injury risk so obviously training a muscle through a full range of motion is always the best way to see improvement throughout the entire muscle however you have to understand that through each phase of a movement that translates to another phase so kind of the eccentric isometric concentric concentric isometric eccentric muscle actions and we all know that all training programs prioritize concentric and eccentric muscle actions with very little prior to with very little focus on the isometric contraction so if we take soccer players or anyone that is uh, doing high velocity movements where they have to change direction and absorb force football we could we could almost say any sport for that matter most muscle strains occur in the eccentric contraction when that muscle is most elongated um, and that's affected by you know muscle strength and contraction velocity and a host of other things but i think if you could optimize a person's isometric contraction leading into that eccentric contraction you're going to put the muscle or the tissue or the joint in a better position to absorb force so that too much force is not going through that muscle, leading to muscle strains and other injuries and other tissue pathologies. Fourth reason is we can improve mobility. So mobility is a pretty big buzzword, and people's perception of mobility limitations 
typically aren't in fact related to mobility because of stiffness, adaptive, adaptive shortening, tightness, or short muscles. It's more uh, central nervous system mediated protective tension. So what I mean by that is if your hips, if your brain doesn't think you have the capacity to stabilize your hips in a loaded back squat or some hip, uh, hip focus movement, then your nervous system can add tension to that joint, to those tissues surrounding that joint for more stability, okay? Because we have to remember the goal of, of your body is to survive at all costs. And if we break that down to a less complex level when, when associated with movement, like your goal is to not get injured, right? So if, you're, if your brain doesn't think you have the capacity to stabilize at an end range, it's going to add tension. It's going to add stiffness. So if we can take you to end range or maybe near end range and make you work for that mobility actively instead of passively, then you can really unlock a lot of mobility just by doing isometric holds near end range. That's like a lot of functional range conditioning stuff, end range control stuff. Check out a lot of their work. I use it pretty, pretty frequently. And the fifth and final is that we can improve movement efficiency and address sticking points. So tempo, in my opinion, is one of the most neglected training variables that exist. When I was uh, doing some programming for people doing home workouts during the initial COVID phase, uh, tempo was like the, uh, the, the saving grace, right? So not many people had weights, couldn't find weights, couldn't get access to weights. So I just had people do a lot of tempo work, and that's a way that you can make up for lack of uh, resources. So something happens when you just really slow down a movement and focus on global tension and co-contraction across multiple joints. If we can increase awareness during, say, a range of motion or sticking point through an isometric contraction, that's going to help you overcome plateaus and enhance maximal force output. When your entire nervous system is forced to lock on to a given range at a given point in time, you can better transfer that same skill to the actual movement. So if we think of it like learning to play a guitar, you first have to learn how to play one chord at a time, and then maybe you piece multiple chords together, and then you learn how to piece those chords together in a rhythmic fashion with the tune. I know nothing about guitars, but I feel like that's likely how it would be done. And movement is no different. You know, you learn parts of that movement. You can master that. You can prioritize one issue that you might not be as efficient at through isometrics. And then you can put the whole piece together into the pattern. So just to summarize five reasons why you should be doing isometrics. One, pain management. Two, muscle-mind connection or more motor unit recruitment. Three, decrease injury risk. Four, improve mobility. Five, movement efficiency and address those sticking points. So you can check that out at myomove.com slash learn. It is the most recent one. Okay. As always, these podcasts are sponsored by MyoMove. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Greenville Moves podcast. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the Green Bull Moves podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Stay moving.